Thanks for joining us on Off The Clock, brought to you by the team at Tonkins Wake. I'm your host, Catherine Bryant, Special Counsel in Charge of Knowledge Management. Join us today as we offer guidance on and insight into topical issues in business and law. So as part of our Practical Business series, we've been talking about how you strengthen business resilience when times are tough. And today we're talking about how you can tackle a downturn in business. Very topical with the way the economy is looking right now. So I'm joined by Bryce Davey, commercial partner at Tompkins Wake with over 20 years experience advising clients on buying, selling and investing in businesses. I've also got Jono Piat, a partner at Deloitte's with over 15 years experience helping clients to develop and grow their businesses. And I've got Jeff Hutchison, CEO of Backdoor, New Zealand's largest surf, skate and streetwear business. So thanks for joining me today, guys. The economy's looking a little bit shaky now. We've got rising costs, we've got interest rates going up, and we're already seeing the economy start to slow down a little bit. So we want to look at when businesses are facing tough economic conditions like this, what are practical and effective steps that they can take in their businesses to help weather these financial conditions? So I think the first step is, how does a business recognize that things are slowing down? Jono, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. So I think with this is is often when you rely on economic data or GDP and things like that, you've got to remember that that's always retrospective. It's always three months after the fact or whatever. So I find that actually to recognise the downturn or a change, is it really comes down to you, what your pipeline is looking like. And for people that's going to be different, and Hutch can talk a little bit around retail and how, how that looks for him, but in construction, you've got businesses that are going, well, okay, what is my pipeline looking like? And the key here also is to really, you know, have conversations with others in, in the industry, or if you're in, say, construction, then other subbies, but you've just got to be in conversations as much as you can to just get a, a sense of what's happening. Because I find that the people on the ground are often some of the first to notice. Yeah, by the time you get the the national GDP numbers, the ship has already sailed. So so I would say that you're really looking at things like, I mean, revenue is obviously a key indicator. What are your items that are not happening? That's probably you straight away going, well, is your inquiry down? And it's going to be too paced, this downturn. It'll be fits and starts. So you're going to have weeks where it's good and weeks where it's bad. So you do have to not just take one week and be, that's what it is. You do have to take a little bit more of a, an approach over a time, but essentially, I think it's really important to go and what is the revenue? Where is it coming from? Is it still happening? And that's probably a good place to start. Bryce, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I mean, I guess like all of these things, they kind of unfold over time. I think everyone um, knows the economy may be entering to some shaky ground in the future. And I guess for a lot of businesses, they probably feel comfortable that they've weathered the earlier storms well. But at the same time, you've also got to think about your customers and suppliers and, and whether they've got pinch points or squeezes and whether that will impact you or your business as well. So it's probably... I think as Jono was saying, really what's happening on the ground um, and keeping a close eye on reviewing forecasts and, and data your business is getting with sales or that data, which is sort of integral to kind of making the right decisions and, and planning ahead. And I think the other thing that, that's pretty critical whenever there's a bit of uncertainty is, is scenario planning. And I think, you know, we could all do better 
at that and it's probably just thinking you know how things are looking for the business and, and maybe considering a you know a worst case scenario best case and and, and kind of a middle case and, and and actually just stress testing your numbers your business and, and maybe giving a bit more thought to how that depending on what happens you've you've got a plan of action you know plan a b c to kind of uh, deal with any of these issues should they arise so hatch You've, you know, not only weathered the COVID downturn, but you've weathered the GFC GFC. and you've been here and done that. Now, what would you say about the importance of monitoring to, uh, you know, see when things are starting to turn down? Yeah, absolutely crucial. And and Jono alluded to the GDP numbers, which are in in hindsight. We keep an incredibly close eye on our day-to-day numbers. And as a consumer-facing business, we feel it immediately when there's a downturn. So we're constantly looking at every day and every week, comparing that to last year. Everything's always compared to last year, like for like, always comparing like for like, not trying to make our data look a bit better by adding some new stores that kind of don't quite really count. And then also looking through when some of the data can be really bad, like yesterday. And if you looked at the weather outside at the start of the day yesterday, I would have thought yesterday's going to be a really bad retail day. And it was. It was our worst day of the year. But that does not imply that we're about to have a downturn. It was just a really bad weather day. So not much demand for surfboards when it's raining, huh? No, oh, <laughs> it was just shocking weather for the last 10 days, basically. So we just keep a really close eye on our dailies, our monthlies, and our weekly figures and keeping, and that's our first indication when things are starting to turn a bit rough. So lately it's been flatlining into slightly negative. Right. So the more monitoring you do, the sooner you're going to see when you've got a problem, right? Yeah. And I think what Hutch and and Bryce have talked about is understanding and monitoring, and it's about understanding what the key KPI is for your business. So people will be different in different businesses and and understanding some things you measure on a monthly basis or quarterly basis, but the thing that is the lifeblood of your business, you need to be monitoring daily, weekly, monthly. And so for people that's going to be different, so it's our professional services firm, it would be like utilisation of staff. Everyone's going to have a different KPI and you need to find what that is that, that drives basically your business. And then once you've got that, you monitor that and you measure that. So once you've established that there's a downturn, things are starting to look not as good as they were a month ago, a week ago, what is the best way to respond to that? Obviously, it's going to change from business to business, but you know, should we dive into cutting costs? Should we be trying to increase sales? How do we deal with the downturn? Well, you try to do all of those things, but it's, um, it's not actually that simple. You can't really increase your sales in a downturn without inevitably cutting your prices. And when you cut your prices, you cut your gross profitability. And so those things aren't that simple. There are usually some low-hanging fruit that you can cut in your cost lines, but if most businesses are running reasonably efficiently these days, you wouldn't have much excess that you can cut out. For me... Much of the tough decisions need to have been made a year or two ago. And for us, I'll refer back to the GFC back in 2009, 2010. Much of our issues then were due to our high costs because we'd signed a number of quite expensive leases. And it wasn't easy to get out of those because they were four years or six years or eight year terms. And we were stuck in a situation where it wasn't easy and we had to talk to landlords, we had to talk to our suppliers in order to get through that. So, yes, you need to cut your costs, but it's not that easy. Mm. Jono might 
no easier how to do it. I think in terms of cutting costs is you do need to review that, particularly in a downturn. You need to go through and look at, okay, what what is excess? But often if you have a strategy, a long-term strategy of cutting costs, then it's going to be a race to the bottom ultimately in terms of your business. And so that's where you need, as a longer-term plan, you should always be focusing on how do you grow the business. You see very few turnarounds, a little long-term turnarounds without having a sense of growth about their business in terms, and it comes from revenue. So yes, I think, like you say, you can control and, and, and if you can manage some of your short-term costs and, and save some money, particularly when, you know, in a downturn cash is king. However, long-term, I do think that it can be a race to the bottom by just having an approach that you just cut everything out and never get there. Where there's fundamental things around, you know, like, okay, can we Long-term, our business model should be different. I think that's important to review, but more successful businesses are ones that look at costs, but actually are focused more on on how do we grow? How do we be better and bigger? And you find that even in downturns, the good businesses actually do grow and actually have done well. And actually, I mean, Backdoor is an example of a business that has actually done stronger and is better off for having some of those downturns where and some of the competitors aren't around it and that. So and you see good businesses do well in hard times because they've actually made some good decisions and there's opportunity out there. Bryce, have you noticed that with your clients that uh, the good businesses will continue to thrive even when things are getting tough? Yes and no. I mean, I think it probably depends on sector, but I think also a lot of it depends on what costs you're looking to cut out of the business because obviously you don't want to get to the stage where you're cutting costs which will affect your ability to take advantage of the opportunities which might arise in the downturn. I think quite often we see clients and as far as rather than getting rid of staff and, and those sorts of things, a lot more focuses on discussions with, you know, the banks and landlords and IRD and those sort of people to see if they can sort of push out some payment terms or do some other things to sort of try and keep some cash in the business in, in the short term. And I don't know whether Hutch has any experience of trying to deal with uh, some of those people and trying to get some better outcomes. Yeah, I'll just add to that. When you are starting to see that downturn in cash is starting to become a problem, one of the things that we would do, and it's probably one of the later questions, but we would engage with our suppliers very early on and come up with a payment plan in order to keep the stock flowing. The last thing at a retail business needs is to have be put on stop supply because you're not paying on time. And so we would we would always negotiate with our suppliers early and say, hey, this is where we're at. We are going to be tough through this winter. We will need to have terms until Christmas, then we'll come right. So we, we would always do that. Um, we'd always also negotiate with our landlords. I had very little success, it's fair to say, in the GFC with getting any substantial rent reductions. In fact, I had to provide all my books and everything, and we got really nowhere in this latest COVID period with lockdowns, we had great support from landlords. It was really good. That's great to see. And I think that that's one of the important things is that rather than viewing yourself as an island, a business alone, is that your landlords, your suppliers, your bank, they all have an interest in helping your business keep going. And so it's about working as a team. So when we're dealing with a business that's struggling because of economic conditions, it's not enough to look at how are we going to survive right now? We have to look at, well, how are we going to thrive and how are we going to come out the other side? So with that in mind, you know, when we're looking at costs, are there costs that we shouldn't be cutting or costs that are more important than others? You know, marketing, for instance, is that still important in a downturn? 
Look, I think um, when it comes to sacred costs, I probably only have one, and that is key people. I've never seen someone regret having a good person and keeping that good person in their business. And when we look at other costs, I'd probably go, well, there's nothing that's off the table. They're not saying that you should get rid of everything, but I mean, I'll tell you a story of, of a client, uh, a couple of clients who in the e-commerce space, probably two years ago, both of them came were telling me about how, look, we're going through a strategy for marketing. One of them said, we're going to go zero investment. And we think we can, through our own you know, social platforms, we can get our place higher on the Google Ad, um, than Google AdWords. So we're going to completely cut the cost out. Had another client that took completely the other strategy. And they basically invested heavily in it. And you know what? Both those clients were successful both sold. Actually, the interesting thing is that after two years, both of them actually revalued it. And, and I've, I was just recently talking to both of them. The one that had been investing in that advertising is now looking about cutting it back. And the one that didn't do it for a couple of years is now going, actually, now it's time to invest in it. And so I guess the point being that it's actually about the valuation of the spend. Is it effective? Because marketing is good and it can be bad. It depends on how you use it. And they were both successful and they made good approaches to what they did. So I think for me around that cost side, I mean, others might have different views, but I think everything should be up for grabs. But I would just say key people, I've never heard someone be unhappy about keeping a good person on board. Yeah. So when we're looking at the costs, looking at what our strategic direction is and making sure that all the costs we're keeping are consistent with that strategic planning, is that what you'd advise too, Bryce? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'd agree with with Jono about the people point. I mean, at the end of the day, a good team can really help drive excellence even in tough times. And I think the chat on the marketing spend, I mean, as we all know, there's good marketing spend and not so good or, or maybe strategic, you know, longer term marketing spend. You might have to sort of reallocate that to sort of some shorter term gains and those sorts of things. So, I'd agree with both Hutch and Jono on on that point. But ultimately, I think, as Jono said, nothing's off the table. The issue, I think, for businesses is it's great to think of things you can cut, but at the same time, you kind of need to factor in how long will that actually take to make a difference? Because at the end of the day, you can get rid of someone, but you might have to pay them two or three months um, plus holiday pay and those sorts of things. And so you're really only, only going to get the benefits sort of further down the track. And it's the same with things like any sort of costs like that operational costs, you can shave them, but it's only sort of six to 12 months down the track that you're actually getting the benefit from it. And it's whether there's a better way to sort of get more bang for your buck on on the cost savings is probably something I'd, I'd recommend people consider. I think if we're looking at, at that, you know, rather than just shaving costs and, you know, taking a hatchet to them, we need to do it strategically, but that growing the business is really important. Now, John, I know you've got a farming background and uh, traditionally one of the issues that you've had dairy farming is a focus on production rather than profitability. So what would you say to businesses looking at growing their sales that it's not just about growth, is it? It's about what you're getting for that growth. Oh, 100%. Margin will get you through a lot further in times of volatility. If you have margin to play with in terms of good price range, then you get a lot more flexibility about being able to ride out a storm. If you've got real tight margins, then you just need the littlest thing to tip you off. And that's what you see in a lot of the examples of businesses that have fallen over is basically they've, they're running on such tight margins, they've committed to things, and then they just little things knock them off. So I think running uh, profitability to me is, is such a key part of running your business and knowing what it is that helps 
get that for you. Um, so that could be um, around, you know, what does that mean from a business center, understanding what your business is and the different divisions of it. So, I mean, if you look at a farm, which farms are doing well, which farms aren't doing well. Um, and you'll have aspects of it that you should be going, okay, well, which are the ones that have the good labor ratios or or have the good production ratios or birth rates, whatever it is that help drive the farm profitability. But you've got to really understand margin as, as a key aspect of um, being able to get through volatile times. Jeff, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that as our company is not very well represented in Auckland, for instance, because we simply can't, and this comes back to margin, but we simply can't find sites in Auckland where the rent is so high that our margin, our net margin, is not really great enough to make it work. So we're only, only in two places in Auckland. We've found a sweet spot in a lot of the provincial cities where there's enough net in it for us that makes it worthwhile. It's all about margin. It's all about negotiating with your suppliers to get a better deal, to get pay better prices. And if I go back to the GFC, our our net margin back then was in the low two three percent. And as Jono alluded to, it was just so tight that when things went tough and the numbers came off, boy, we were just about under. So these days, it's vastly better in double digits, and and so we're much better prepared to withstand a bit of a tough time. I think that, um, I know I've talked to you about this, Hutch, is you're prepared to hold stock and wait out price changes because you've got a little bit of margin flexibility in there. It's a strategy. I know you talked about it a couple of years and it's proven to do quite well for you. Oh, we've got a warehouse full of stock at the moment. There's, we have three million in surplus in stock right now, which is way too much. But all the prices for next summer have risen by about 10 or 20%. So all the stock that we're holding is at a lower price. So we're kind of prepared to ride that through because it's good stock. We're not dumping it. We'll hold on to it. Yeah, those surfboards haven't gone rotten yet. Nah, they're fine. Oh, we're short of surfboards. We're constantly short of those. But we've got a lot of, got 88 pallets of skateboards right now. Got a lot of those. (laughs) Time to take up skateboarding then. Yeah. So, um, Bryce, is that what you've seen as well, that to be a really successful business, you need to have that focus on profitability rather than production or sales? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think, um, you know, when things are booming, um, you know, a lot of businesses tend to sort of push into new areas and and set up new business units or, or try different products and services. And as we said, you know, the first point we made was really just you've really got to make sure you've got um, internal monitoring and controls to actually assess the performance of those new ventures and, and, and make sure, you know, that it's actually worth your while and worth your investment and effort. And um, and I guess when, when times get a bit tougher, that's probably when the rubber hits the road on some of those sorts of initiatives which may not be um, doing as well as the core business. And so I think when times get tougher, I think my experience dealing with clients is people tend to focus on their core business because that's what they do best and, and that's where they make their money and that's what they understand. And and they try and wind back on, on some of the uh, maybe the more fringe business units and, and areas that they've got involved in. Mm. And I think that just brings us back to what we were talking about at the beginning is the importance of monitoring so that you know how much you know, each unit is costing you to produce or to sell so that you can tell at a glance which parts of your business are the most profitable and which bits are the bits to sacrifice when things are going down. I'd also add that you want to keep things as simple as possible and don't add any 
complication into what you're trying to do. At the end of the day, we sell stuff to people. I talk to my staff a lot about complication as the enemy of profitability. And it's something that we just try and keep it as simple as possible. Have the right stock that people want to buy. Never run out of the good things. Don't run out of toilet paper if you're a supermarket. But all of those things that are the fundamentals in our business that people want to buy, we must never run out of. So at the moment, we have a warehouse full of too much stuff, but it's all good stuff. So that's okay. We're just ordered less going forward. Yeah. And that monitoring again, making sure that you've got what you need and you don't have too much of it. You'd be surprised about how much people do fly blind in my experience of you'd say like, you know, just understand your business units. And people are good at understanding what the overall business is, but often you go, okay, well, if you were to, to look at that part of it, how well it is. And it's it's not, you know, you've got to try and come up with a, like I said, a simple formula to work that out because you can overcomplicate trying to allocate costs or work out the, the science behind that. And it can be someone's 24-hour job trying to work out an, an allocation. But I think at the same time, that's not an excuse to not understand it. And I am surprised about how people aren't as aware of those pieces and how much of a difference it makes when you just tweak one unit a bit better or in Hutch case, you know, it might be one bad store. Going actually, actually that's been a real drag. We didn't realize, actually closing that store has been the best thing for us. So there's a lot of times I think that you just got to make sure that you do actually do that and keep it simple as you can, but actually do make sure you do check on on the business unit performance or store performance or whatever it is. Yeah, alluded to closing one bad store. For us, we closed a store that was in Auckland's biggest mall, Sylvia Park, and that was probably one of our best ever decisions because while we were running like mad on the mouse wheel and turning over heaps, it was also 400 grand a year in rent and it just wasn't working. So one of those decisions to close a store like that made a fundamental difference to our overall profitability. So, Jono, when people are, you know, looking at these decisions and trying to work out where are their costs and where's profitability, how can experts help them there? It's really about information. I mean, we're in a day and age where we've got a lot better technology now. From when I started from an accounting side, it was it was very manual. At a simple level, is zero or a simple package. But then there's a lot of good ERP systems that now can give you that information. does require some investment in terms of setting up the structure right. So you've got to work out how the structure works for your business in terms of that information system. I mean, look, that's what we do in helping people with that. So, uh, you know, I'd say that it's something that we like to look, walk alongside and, and help work with clients and go, look, you know, what are the information you need, how you're getting it, and we do have experience in that in, in our field. But it's about trying to find a good system and a technology platform that actually helps you get that at, at a daily basis. Otherwise, you are flying blind. So I'd just recommend even talking to other people in the industry or people that are, yeah, if, if say, Hutch may talk to someone else as a direct commentator, but there's a lots of other retail people that he can talk to, you know, what are systems they're using, how are you using it? So it's a key part of just keeping those networks open to asking them what, what are they using, how they're using it, then actually getting someone that if you've got someone in-house that can work with that from a financial perspective or getting someone, I mean, I do a lot of what we call virtual CFO work, which is basically kind of outsource finance to help people to do that. So yeah, so there's, there's people out there that can help with that. So um, I think it's important to understand, invest in it, and so that you can actually get the outcome from it. Hutch, as a business owner, and I run a business as well outside of this, 
I think that we find that there can be real value in talking to a professional to help you kind of step back and look at the strategic direction of where's your business going and what do you want to achieve and what are some different ways to achieve it that maybe you haven't thought of. Is that something that you found valuable? Yep, absolutely. And and like, obviously, we talk to Jono a lot. Having a good relationship with your bank manager is important. But um, in recent times, often bank managers tend to move on after a year or two and you keep cycling through a new one. But we have had the same one for a while now and that's been good. We Just to ha- clarify, I'm not um, Hutch's bank manager. No, no, no. Jono's no, no. <laughs> our accountant. Um, and the other person that I would say has been absolutely invaluable for us is that in the GFC, um, I found that I wasn't very good at negotiating leases. And I hadn't been very good up till that point. And we were using our lawyers to do that stuff. But the one piece of information the lawyer didn't know was what the going rate was for those premises and what other people were paying. And we'd get all the clauses right and get all the detail of the lease right. But at the end of the day, knowing what our industry paid for certain shopping centres was crucial. And so we appointed, we found a lease negotiator and I was put onto him by another fellow retailer in Hamilton um, that used to own Meccano. And he put me onto this guy who's an older guy based in Auckland and he now looks after all of our leases and knows what the going rate is, what we should pay. We give him all of our figures, all of our data goes to him, so he sees all our sales figures. And that's been an absolutely crucial part of our growth plan is having someone other than me looking after the leases and not a lawyer either. So it's just another piece of the puzzle for us. Mm. I think that's important that it's it's not just, you know, one advisor doing everything, is that you go to different experts who can help you with different aspects of the business. So it's putting together the right team around you. Is that what you found, Bryce? I know that you work very closely with, you know, accountants and other professionals. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, good advisors maybe the initial touch point, it may just be one advisor, a lawyer or accountant, but they'll very quickly see where, you know, further help or expertise is, is required that they may, might not have. And at the end of the day, you know, all advisors are really there to sort of do the best for the business and, and actually help the business owner make informed decisions and, and, you know, hopefully make the right decisions going forward. If the business has done the scenario plannings and if, you know, let's say this recession does bite pretty hard on some businesses, you know, it's also important to get some advice for the directors of that business just in relation to, you know, what their duties and obligations at law are because I think the last thing that people want to be do is making decisions which are probably not reasonable in the circumstances because we've got to remember we've got a legal system in New Zealand where it's all a hindsight test and, um, you know, if people don't have the right information or aren't getting the right advice, they may may find that, you know, someone will look back in, in a couple of years' time and, and say, well, look, you didn't make the right decisions because obviously the business wasn't going to, you know, be able to meet those forecasts or, or achieve those targets. So I think it's always important to engage early with advisors make sure you, that you get the right people involved, people that can be straight shooters, but also kind of give you options and come up with some good ideas. I guess just adding to what Bryce and Hutch has said around kind of that team around you, sometimes being a business owner can be lonely because you can only share so much. There's some information that you may not be prepared to share with your staff or certain things. So actually having that team around you is really important that are outside. What I'd also say is, is you want to have that team with you over the journey. So 
like if you're coming like I've got to find someone now because I've got to get out of a situation, you're never going to get the best out of your advisor as opposed to someone that you've built good relationship, you know how they work, you know how they fit into your business. So really making sure that it, you've got that advisory team kind of, you kind of want to lock, lock them in the good times as well as the bad times so that they're, they're there and they're, they're with you for the journey. Now that doesn't mean you never change, I'm not saying that, but if you do have someone that really understands you, you understand how they work, it means that you can get more out of your advisor and I'm, I'm sure Bryce will say the same but it's a lot easier to help a client when you've got a good context to who they are and the relationships two-way and that might also be other business owners that you know you talk to I mean I Hutch you've got a couple of other friends that that you know you sound out stuff with you know that are in other, other industries but just really good insights and so I think that's the other part is to build your team over time it can continue to change um, but keep working on those relationships so that they're there the good times and the bad. Mm. So just uh, going back to something we discussed earlier in the podcast. So we've been talking about how communication with your advisors is key because they can't help you if they don't know what's going on. But there's another level of communication and that's with, you know, customers, suppliers, employees. If things are looking a bit shaky, what do you want to tell them? When do you want to tell them and how do you do it? It's a toughie. You don't really want to tell your customers that, hey, we're going broke and we'll be around for another week. (laughs) Um, That's not something you really want to say because people will probably not buy anything off you. They'll wait for a half-price close-down sale. It's really difficult to navigate that line where you're trying to be optimistic for your staff because for me, I was the face of the business. I had to come into work each morning and be bubbly and bouncy when in the background I'm kind of going, hmm, this is the end. You've got to be as honest as you can with your staff, but John alluded to something earlier, you do not want to lose key staff. Key staff are critical to the business's growth going forward. So you just have to have some of those difficult conversations and honest conversations and say, hey guys, I'm going to be as positive as I can be. We can get through this, but we're going to fight our way through it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, One of the best definitions of resilience that I've heard, which is a word that I feel like has been quite topical of the last little while, is it's a balance between reality and optimism. And it's both ends, I think, which what you're saying, Hutch, is you do need to come with an element of, now we can get through this. And it was interesting, you know, watching uh, businesses and just even recently in COVID and just seeing how people, nah, we're going to get through this. But also, you've got to be realistic. You can't put your head in the sand. I've seen that as well. And you know what? People just jump ship when they, they see head in the sand. So if you're being, you do have to be honest with your customers and your suppliers. And if you've, again, you've built that relationship, you've communicated early, you've understand. In my experience, your suppliers and your customers and your, and your staff, in general, if you're being, you know, upfront and, and fair to them and you, and you deliver on it, then they'll be quite understanding. And whether that's from someone from the, the IRD to the bank, to a customer, to a supplier, to employees. The key is, is you're actually going, okay, look, this is why, explain the rationale. And, and my, my experience, if you've been relatively upfront and kind of forward looking and explain why, and then also bring an element of, we're getting going to get through this. In my experience, people have been relatively okay with that. Is that what you found too, Bryce? To a degree, I, I think it's really important that the communication while being open and honest, I mean, you've got to actually make sure that you don't burn the trust. And so I think where I've seen that come amok a couple of times is where 
people kind of have forecasts which are wildly optimistic or, or plans to repay or to do things and kind of given the best case scenario to a bank or to, um, you know, key suppliers and then haven't been able to deliver on, I guess, what their promises were and then constantly kind of having to re-forecast and sort of saying, well, things have changed and now we're doing something else. So I think, you know, the main thing is the communication just needs to be clear and, and you've got to avoid, you know, losing the trust because I think once your suppliers or your bank or, or other key stakeholders don't trust the management or the or where the business is going, then you're going to really struggle from that point on. I think that's where pulling in your, your professional team and working with them early helps, doesn't it? So that you can prepare realistic forecasts for communication with suppliers or banks or whoever you're talking to. Would you agree, Jono? Yeah, absolutely. Trust is such a hard thing to build and anything to destroy. There's an element in every business deal that is going to be reliant on character and in your relationship. So there'll be dollars and cents, you know, whether it's suppliers, customers, employees, there's always going to be dollars and cents, you know, how much payment terms, but there's also going to be an element of character element. And so if you are someone that has always been known to be tough and hard, and then that's going to not give you as much flexibility in those tough and hard times as well. You know, I've seen people that have that really hard-nosed approach and that's how they've done it. That's fine. Um, But you've got to be prepared to understand, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. So I guess that's probably just something to consider. I was terrible in the GFC about being wildly optimistic with my cash flow forecasts for the bank. And I'm a natural optimist and I just kept looking at it way too optimistically and not realistically enough. And I think it's really important to be realistic with what you really think is going to happen rather than this optimistic forecast. I felt like I was needing to sell a story to the bank to keep them supporting us. Probably I needed to be more realistic from the start. I've learned that lesson over many years, but these days my cash flow forecasting is incredibly realistic. Yeah, you get a lot more leeway from the bank when you're a lot more realistic, that's for sure. Yeah. And so that monitoring and that checking in with your advisors so that you can be realistic, but looking at how you can push through and come out the other side and help your business to thrive. Just another thing to add in terms of communication of price changes or anything like that. Um, Interestingly, I just got an email yesterday at Zero putting their prices up, but not one of them is not till March 23. And I'm like, that's so long away. But I can guarantee just the subconsciousness on me, when it happens, I'm like, I already knew that. And so I I think there is something around the communication. I'm sure they've got a big communication strategy and they probably spend a lot of money trying to work out how to do that. So it's probably free advice from zero. But effectively, what we're saying is that timing, like if you can communicate early, planned approach, you find people are a lot more prepared to live with it than last minute, kind of, by the way, your price is going up like this. So I think um, there is something in in that kind of strategy as well. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Jono, Hutch, Bryce, and uh, hopefully that's some very useful practical advice on how you can weather a downturn that uh, looks like we're going into now. Thanks, everybody, and that's Off the Clock. 